You can open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. As we've been working through 1 Timothy, we've, we've come up in the third chapter. We've come to Paul's teaching on elders and deacons. These two offices within the church, the only two offices within the church, there are not separate bishops and, and hierarchical structure. We do not find that in Scripture, a, a set of monks and nunneries or priests and these other things. It is pastors, elders, overseers. All these words are used to describe one office. We spent a couple of weeks looking there at 1 Timothy chapter 3. First, Timothy, first we looked at the, the call of elders, then we looked at the, the character of elders, and I wanted to step away for just a moment to kind of round out the picture of what elders are to be. I want to step out to look at the, the charge to elders, that is what elders are particularly to do. And the reason that we are taking this time to spend meditating on elders in particular, although as we look at this, we're going to find that there is a lot that touches on our lives as believers, all of our lives as believers. Well, part of the reason that we're doing this is because leadership matters. We see it in everything. There has been a lot of talk over the last couple of weeks of the leadership that has brought the two teams to the Super Bowl, the kinds of coaches that are there, the kinds of leadership amongst the players. There's just constant talk about the leaders that exist on these teams. But we see it not only in sports teams, we see it at our work. Leadership matters at work. You who have jobs know this to be true. What do you want in your boss? What kind of bosses are you? Leadership matters. Leadership of countries. We see that here all the time. Leadership at home matters. Part of what Paul wants us to see is that leadership at the church matters too. It matters eternally. It is significant. And it's imperative that we look at elders and deacons, that we spend some time meditating on these two offices because leadership matters, but because also that if we fail to understand this, we will fail, we will subtly redefine what the church is and what the purpose and mission of the church is. We see this idea, the, the, the role of pastors and elders, we see the charge, the biblical charge to pastors and elders is being redefined regularly in our world, in churches. Churches expect, define often, they, 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 people want their spiritual leaders to be more therapists than what the Bible describes. Someone who's going to make me feel good about myself, to maybe challenge me to improve my life a little bit, to be a little bit of a life coach. Many people expect pastors, elders, to be something along the lines of social workers, to view their job, our job, as Something in, in the view that of the church as almost a, a divine social welfare agency. As if the main purpose of a local church is to provide for the needs of the community, to provide for the needs of people. And certainly, if we are following Christ, we will do what we can to serve others. Do good to all men, Paul talks about, but especially to the household of faith. Or Christ says, do, let your good works shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to God who is in heaven. We want our good works to adorn the gospel. 
But social work is not the primary role of the leaders of the church. Some see pastors and elders as little more than community center leaders. That is, it's, it's the job of the pastors to lead the charge in the church so that the church becomes uh, a center for community activities, community life. Work programs, after-school programs for, for kids, work training, child care, social clubs. And I see that's the value of the church, and it's the pastor's role and the, and the leadership role to, to get these things going. But that is a far cry from what we see in the Bible. Some, more popularly in our day, view the church and, and specifically pastors and leaders as political activists. That is a responsibility of the pastor or the leader from the pulpit to argue and to push a political agenda, whether from the left or the right. And you see this in churches all across our country, all across the world. Many pastors take it as their point to push a social agenda on the political left that is, that is anti-everything we see in the Bible. And then others on, on the right cloak themselves in their nation's flag, always pushing, uh, always celebrating our nation, which we can praise the Lord for. But while churches are not politically neutral, that is, as we teach and preach the word of God, as we teach the gospel, it's going to have political ramifications for how we live, for what we believe, for what, our, for what we think our nation should do. Absolutely, it's going to have effect there. But ultimately, pastors and elders are not called to set a political agenda. We're not charged by God to be political agents. Some view pastors and elders as only responsible to teach, to educate hopefully in a funny, entertaining way. But that is, while that is a role of pastors and elders, that is not the primary or only role. Some within the church view elders, pastors, as merely decision makers. If you're bored of elders and they make decisions, and that's, that's what we do. But none of this captures the vision, the biblical vision, for what we see the responsibility of an elder in a local church to be. But it's not just that the idea of pastors and elders is being redefined, it's that churches are lowering the standards for who can serve as a pastor or elder. Sometimes out of necessity, we don't, we don't know that we have enough guys, we don't know that we have enough people, so we're going to just get whoever's interested. So churches, without meaning to, lower the standard of what God calls pastors and elders to be. This is not just true of churches and pastors and elders. This is true of missionaries. There was a time I was talking with, uh, I've heard increasingly over the last number of years from mission board directors, that there was a time where churches seemed to send their best to be missionaries. And now they bemoan the fact that the quality of those who are coming to be missionaries often has been lowered dramatically. It seems that churches are just sending anybody who has an interest. That the bare qualification for being a, a missionary is to be a warm body. Some mission agencies have lowered the standard altogether and have actually argued and are working on the assumption that you do not even need to be a Christian to be sent out as a missionary. 
As long as you have certain processes in place, everything should work out and and churches can be planted even if the missionary himself or herself is not an actual Christian. In the process of all this, the ones who get hurt the most when we lower the standards are churches. It is the testimony of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we, we need elders to be godly men who serve as Christ calls them. And that's why we are coming to this passage in Acts 20. There are numerous places we could look at to find a description of what elders, pastors, church leaders are to do. But I can't find a clearer description than what we find here. More than that, one of the things I love about Acts chapter 20 while Paul is going to give us within these verses of verse 17 to 38, one of the things I love about this passage is while there are more than 20 verses total, only about three, three and a half, four of them is where Paul is actually giving commands to elders of what they are to do. The rest of it, he recounts his own ministry. Basically, what he is doing is he, 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 he says, this is what you should do. But in the midst of it, he is giving his own example. And he's saying, follow me. As you're doing this, you need to follow my example. He is, by his life, what these things he's going to describe look like. And so this passage is immensely helpful. It is the, the longest, in fact, not just the longest, it is the only recorded passage in the book of Acts where, a, where Paul, an apostle, or any of the apostles is actually speaking and preaching to a Christian audience. We have messages given to uh, unbelievers outside the church, only one that we are given to believers. And in this passage, what's happening here? is that Paul is on his way. He has spent three years in Ephesus before this. He's gone on and planted churches and encouraged churches elsewhere. And now he is returning. It's time, there's a time for a special celebration in Jerusalem to which he is headed. And he knows that when he gets to Jerusalem, God has revealed to him immense persecution and hardship. And yet he is determined to get there. And so he, he makes his way there. And as he's getting there, he, he stops 30 in, in, in a city called Miletus. And it's about 30 away as the crow flies. But the road is much longer and windier. It would have taken two or three days for messengers to get from Miletus all the way to Ephesus. But he lands in Miletus and he sends messengers to Ephesus to gather the elders of that church and to get them. And to bring them to him, he has one final charge. Because he is sure that he will no longer see them. That this will be their last opportunity and his last opportunity to see one another face to face. And he has concerns that he wants to share. So follow along. You can start with me as I read, beginning in verse 17. Follow along as I read. From Miletus... He, that's Paul, sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful 
but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, saying that the chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace, of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned, I have not avoided to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch And remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn you, to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities. And for those who were with me, I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray as we begin our study of God's word this morning. Father, this is your word. And we pray that you would so work in our hearts, the meditation of our minds, and the words of my lips would be honoring to you, our God and Savior. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We find in verse 28 to elders. He says, watch yourselves. Therefore, take heed. Watch yourselves. This is what we find also echoed in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, where Paul says, keep watch over yourselves and of your teaching. This is especially true of elders, but this is true of all of us. We are to watch ourselves. Why? Why watch ourselves? You know, we are really good at watching other people. We're really, really, I mean, if there was a, most of us could could get that. Like, we could excel in that. It's more than just observe. It is to guard. Why? Why is it the responsibility of all Christians, but especially of church leaders, why is it our responsibility to watch ourselves? Aren't we followers of Christ? Haven't we been saved from our sin? 
And the answer is, yeah, we may have been saved, but we are still sinners. Becoming an elder, becoming a church leader does not remove sin. Lessen the the temptation that you may face. It it may increase it, it may heat it up, it may cause it to inflame. It, It will do all sorts of things, but it will not remove your sin. Which means that, brothers and sisters, you need to be praying for your pastors and elders. And be watching your own selves. You, you dare not grow lazy in keeping watch over your own soul. There are no vacation days for keeping watch over our own soul. We dare not coast and take it easy in the watch of our own soul. More than this, we are to watch our teaching. Those who open God's word are to... The temptation is always to substitute our opinions for what God says. And that cannot be the pattern for those who are to be pastors and elders. Watch yourselves and your teaching. This means that godly leaders must welcome evaluation of what they teach. Questions, pushback. Just as the Apostle Paul welcomed it when the Christians in this town of Berea examined what he taught based on God's word. Brothers and sisters, aim at a humble spirit that receives correction well. Elders must not only watch over themselves, they must watch over the church. We see this again, verse 28. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. You notice how he describes the church. To all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. You notice he calls it the church. These are elders of one church. The church in Ephesus. A church in Ephesus. One church. And we would say, okay, shepherd your church. Elders are to shepherd a church, their church, but he, Paul doesn't say that. He says, be careful to shepherd the church. The, the idea that's running behind there in, in Paul's mind is that every church, in as much as there is genuine gospel preaching, genuine administration, right administration of the, the ordinances, as, as people are bound together to one another in faith, in Christ... Wherever there is a true church, it is a, it is not just a church, as in a, a part of the church, but rather it is the complete church. It is the church. It is a whole church. More than this, you see that he describes the church as one that has been bought by the blood of Christ, by the blood of God. Shepherd the church of God. And what is the urgency, the level of importance that we should place upon the church? Because it has been purchased with his own blood. Nothing else in the world is described like that. Not the office of president or supreme court or governor. Nothing has this description. So you, we men who serve as elders and pastors, do you serve in this way? Deacons, do you serve the church in this way? Brothers and sisters, many of you, without your labors, we could not do what we do. Do you serve in 
the sound? Do you serve as, a, as one who welcomes others? Do you serve in you, as you teach Sunday school or as you clean or as you lead Bible clubs or as you lead a Bible study or center shot, wherever you serve? Do you serve as if it is eternally significant because Christ has purchased the church? Or are you lazy? Do you procrastinate? Do you serve it cheaply with the dregs of your time? The last little bit. Is Christ not worth more? Remember that the church is eternally, cosmically important. More than this, we are to shepherd the church that is among us. There's a number of things that we can pick up here. Verse 28. He describes the flock that is among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The upshot is that we are to, elders are to know the sheep and the sheep are to know the elders. They are to be among the sheep, among the people. More than that, it is that they are to care for the sheep. That is the, that word, shepherd, to care for. It is to point them to the chief shepherd, to build them up, to guide them, to direct, to restrain, to warn, to lead, to visit in the hospital, to lead with love towards Jesus, to spend and be spent. More than this, we see in verses 29 to 31, the call to part of this shepherding is to protect the sheep. Paul describes savage wolves. And he says that they're going to come in. He describes actually two different kinds of wolves. Ones that come into the church, which is the picture that they are outside the church, but they're gaining entrance in. They're coming from outside. They're trying to lead people astray. Lead us away from looking to Christ. Getting us to believe and to follow after the ways of the world and not the way of Christ. There's another kind of wolf he, he talks about here. And that is those who are going to rise up among the church, not just among the church, but among the elders. Verse 30, also from among yourselves, that is, among you who are elders, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. And that is the responsibility of elders in particular to protect the church from this. Elders must watch over themselves. Elders must watch over the church to shepherd, to care for, to protect. But the question is, you know, what, is, what does this look like? Uh, that's the question when you come to something like this, isn't it? These are big ideas. Shepherd the church. Care for it. Protect it. Love it. Serve it. What does that look like in real life? I, I, I don't know about many of you. I, I'm not very mechanically inclined. When I go out to my car and there's an issue with it and I open up the hood, I don't recognize anything under that hood that's remotely... I mean, it, it all looks familiar because I look at it, but it's still there. I have no idea what's going wrong or why. It just its all it looks the same color, you know? Unless something literally falls off in front of me, I'm probably not going to recognize that it's not right. So when something goes wrong and my wife is like, hey, there's something wrong with the car. That this, could you just check it out? Like, that's the most terrifying thing because I want to, I want to like, please my wife. I want, to be, I want to be the man. Like, yeah, I can, I can handle that, right? I'm good. You know what I do? Not very mechanically. My dad definitely wasn't. Remember, we worked on our car one time for 14 hours on a Saturday and we ended up with an extra part. 
That's supposed to have extra parts when you work on your car. The next day, he got a man from our church who was a mechanic, and the guy had it fixed in half an hour. <sighs> That's where I learned my mechanics goes from. So I don't call my dad. That's a mistake. Love him. He's good for a lot of things, not for mechanical advice. Do you know where I go? I go to YouTube. YouTube's great for this. There may be a lot on YouTube that ain't helpful, but this is amazing. Almost any problem I have with my car, you can say, I wonder if there's a YouTube video. Some guy has, has dis- if you're having this problem with your car, this is what you do. And he shows you step by step, do this, now do this. And you, and you know what? I can do that. Teach me like I'm a five-year-old. Okay, I got that. I can imitate that. They make it look easy and I can get it after time. I just need somebody to show me. Perhaps you feel like that. Paul gives that to these church elders. He didn't didn't send them to his YouTube channel. He He didn't have that. What he did is he said, do you remember I was with you for three years? I showed you what this looked like by my life. I I displayed for you what this looked like. And, And brothers, elders, pastors, that's what we are to do. However imperfectly, however falteringly we do it, as best we can, we are to be an example to the flock. Which is why when we looked last week at the the character of elders. Paul, when he describes what elders should be doing, the first thing that he talks about is the kind of men who they should be. Why? Because the character description isn't just a job description or or a prerequisite for a job. It is what you are to be doing. Elders are to lead by example, and Paul shows that by his own example. So what I would like to do is just very briefly, however briefly pastors are able to do that, I would like to just walk through and pull out some of the threads from Paul's example to challenge us and encourage us with. All right? So what we see here, we can look at this back in verse 18. In verse again in 31, we see that Paul is an example of faithfulness. He's, he's telling us, what it looks like to, to pastor, to lead, to shepherd. What all of us should aim for as believers is that we need to pursue hard after faithfulness. Verse 18, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. Or verse 31, look there. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. That is faithfulness. That is determined faithfulness. He doesn't say perfection. It's faithfulness here. That is the trajectory of your life needs to be aimed at Christ. Doesn't mean you're not going to veer off course, but when we veer, we need to be repentant. Friends, those of you who have been with you for years, would they say this about you? Could you tell this to them? You have watched my life. This is how I have lived. Certainly there are failures, there are mistakes, there are tendencies that I have that are not good and I have to war against those, but this is what I'm aiming at. I'm aiming at Christ. And you've seen that. Could could you say that? 
Not only this, Paul calls us to remember that this, that the, the role of pastors and elders is not to what John read for us earlier in 1 Peter 5, not to dominate and have dominion over the church. Verse 19, serve the Lord. Serving the Lord. That was Paul's mindset. He was serving the Lord. More than this, we find he is serving the Lord with all humility. He is a servant. He is a humble servant. He is not talking about the kind of humility that passes in our day for humility. The kind of humility that says, you know, we really can't know anything. We can't know any truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. This is all good for us. That's not humility. That's spinelessness. That's convictionless. Humility is, it has conviction. It bows beneath God's word. It views itself as a servant to God and the people, but it all the way is driven in submission to Christ and to his word. Genuine humility puts others ahead of ourselves and it puts the glory of God and his word above all. Are we serving like that? This church is blessed with so many servants, so many who serve in so many ways. Serve with humility. Not only that, serve with perseverance. You see this in verse 19. Paul writes, With many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. And then look down at verse 22. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me, happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's a persevering kind of faith, a persevering kind of service. That's, that's gritty. That's determination. This is, Paul is not a man, and genuine servants are not ones who turn away when things get rough, when things get hard. We bear it all. Not counting these things more and not counting our lives dear to ourselves so that we may finish our race with joy. He's an example of perseverance. This is not an easy road to follow, but it is one that we are called to. More than that, he is an example of contentment. Verse 33, he says, I have coveted, I have coveted no one's silver or gold. We looked last week, one of the character descriptions of an elder is that he was not to be a lover of money. And this is what he's talking about. Paul was able to see even while he was experiencing life with less, he was able to view what others had and it didn't, he wasn't finding his heart longing and springing and hoping for those things, judging that others had that and he didn't. He didn't experience covetousness like that. He was content with what God had given him. More than this, as a result of all this, he is an example of hard work and generosity. Verse 34. Paul writes, Yes, you yourselves know that these hands, and he's talking about. His hands, these hands of mine, 
They have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul shows by his example what it looks like to be a leader, to be a leader in hard work, to be a leader in generosity. Last, Paul was an example in his teaching. Look with me at verse 20 and 21. Paul says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. He kept back nothing that was helpful. If you teach and find yourself ever teaching someone, teaching a class or influencing others, whether it's formally in a classroom or informally one-on-one, there's going to be the temptation at times to not say something that is helpful because of the way it, was rece- it will be received. You'll know. If I tell this to this person, they are not going to like it. But I know because I see it in God's word, it's important for them. And Paul says, I kept nothing back that was helpful. It doesn't mean that he was rude. It does not mean that he threw it in their face. But that he aimed to be helpful in everything that he said. And he does that by pointing them to what? Toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. We see this again in verses 26 and 27, how he does this. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That is all that Paul taught, he aimed to ground in the word of God. And Paul here is showing us what it looks like to follow after Jesus individually as Christians. And he's being an especially helpful example for all who would aspire to the office of elder or pastor or missionary. And he leverages his example to to illustrate the work of what a pastor and an elder is to do. He He was a living YouTube channel for those men. Do it this way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, how many of us fail in our duties because we don't have someone to show us the way? Those of you who have been following Christ for a long time, part of your job description, by your life and example, by your words and your work, is to show the way to others. Is to lead like this. That may mean that you are a senior saint showing someone who is younger than you. It might also mean that you are, you are a high school student, but you're showing someone who's younger than you. You're showing that kid in junior high what it looks like to follow Christ as best you know how. What we need and what we crave is an example to follow, an example to show us the way. Friends, your life is casting the light 
is casting a light on a way, but is, is it the way of Christ? Is it safe for others to follow in the pathway that we are treading? Elders, this is especially important for us that our example point people to Christ. Deacons, this is no less true for you. What does your service, your life, say about your faithfulness to Jesus? Are you living in such a way that others can follow? Are you leading an example in your service so that the church knows how to serve Christ better because of the way you are serving as a deacon? Second, by his own example, Paul is raising the expectations for what a pastor or an elder is to be, for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. He is helping us to see, he's raising the bar for us to see this is what it looks like to pursue Christ. Friends, your example is one of the most powerful forces you have to showcase to the world and to other believers what faithfulness to Jesus looks like. And the longer you follow Christ, the more powerful that example comes. And by our example, we will either cause our words to ring all the more loudly, or we will cause them to ring all the more hollowly. Moms, dads, this is our burden. This is your burden for your children. This is all of us as we try to spur one another on to love and good works as we find commanded to us in the book of Hebrews. Older believers, what kind of, set, what kind of example are you setting for those who are younger than you? For those of you who have been married for decades, are you setting an example that others want to follow? For those of you who are single, you've been single for many years, are you showing by your example what it looks like for those younger than you? What does it look like to follow Jesus as a single man or woman? Follow after me. I may not do it all right. I may not do it all well, but I'm, I'm trying to follow Christ. He's raising the expectations for us here. And then I want you to see one, one last thing. All of this, the, the expectations are raised, the example is set, the bar is high. And some of you may feel this is all too much. There's no way I'm ever going to be able to attain that. Indeed, Paul himself, when he is examining what it's going to require to follow after Christ and to lead in this way, he's going to ask in his letter to the Corinthians, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer he intends for them to say is no one. Is the bar too high? Does Paul expect us simply to, to try harder, to work more diligently, to become more disciplined, to, to be even better? Paul points these elders and to us, not to ourselves, not even to him, but to Christ, to God and his grace. Look at verse 32. After giving all these exhortations, after giving all of his example, verse 32, so now, brothers, what is your hope to do all this? What is your hope to pursue this, to live like this, to grow in these things? I commend you, not to himself, 
not to themselves. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. That is the gospel, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. To God and the word of his grace, to God and the gospel. God alone, by his grace, in Christ Jesus, is the only one who can produce these things in us, even as we strive to please him. So in your striving, lean on him. If you lean on yourselves, you, you make the mistake. You, you, you will either become so self-satisfied in your perceived obedience, or you will be crushed by your failure. But God gives us another way. I commend to you now to God and to the word of his grace. Years ago, when I was in high school, we would visit every year. We would visit my grandparents. They lived in Ohio. We would spend a week there with them and my cousins. It was a wonderful time. And during that time, my, my grandparents, they would sometimes, um, they would videotape something and then they would show it to us. We would laugh and we would enjoy it together as a big family. And um, one of the years we went, she had recorded a comedian and um, we were watching this comedian and he gives his, his little show. And during that show, he describes his attempt to go on a diet. And uh, whether it was Weight Watchers or Jenny Craig or whatever it was, I, I don't remember. But he was describing, he's, he's got to go on a diet. He's starting this process of going on a diet and he's following the instructions. There's rules about everything that he can eat and how much of what he can eat. And it's like a helpful guide that he's been given. And so he is hungry for potato chips one time. So he goes to the closet. He gets a bag of potato chips. He checks the, the little chart or whatever that comes with his diet plan. And uh, it tells him how much of everything he's allowed to eat. And so he finds potato chips. He finds it. And it's one chip. And as he's counting, he's like, I'm supposed to open the bag of chips, pull out one chip, eat it, and close the bag back up. And then he goes on and he says what you guys already know. He says, if I could do that, I wouldn't be on a diet. <laughs> Perhaps that's how you feel after looking and reading this list. If I could do that. If I could do that, I, I wouldn't need anything else. And Paul's point is that you and I can't do this. But God does not leave us helpless. Romans 8.13 tells us that we are to struggle and fight and kill the sin that rages within. But we do so not with the strength of our flesh. We do so by the power of the Spirit. Depending upon God and His grace. Our only hope for any of us is not that we are going to somehow, by our religious works, by our prayerfulness, our faithfulness, our our own spiritual ability, however you want to define that, 
That we are going to impress God enough in which he gives us grace. That's, that's how we typically think of it. If we work hard enough, and I strive hard enough, and I'm a good enough person, eventually God will show grace. He'll help me out. The old Benjamin uh, Franklin uh, quote, God helps those who help themselves. I want you to understand that it's not the gospel. The very beginning is this truth that God helps those who realize they cannot help themselves. The only reason if you are a Christian, the only way to become a Christian is by first coming to that conclusion. That there is a holy God who is going to hold you and I accountable. And that there is no way for you and I to meet his standard on our own. We are helpless. But that God in Christ, he has provided all that we need. Where we fail to be faithful, Christ is faithful. Where we fail in our weakness, Christ is strong. Where we Where we stop, he persevered all the way to the end. All the way to the cross. So that all who put their hope in him find that their guilt, our guilt, is satisfied in him. He bore it. He paid the penalty. That's why the cross is significant. Because Christ dies in the place of sinners, for sinners, bearing the weight and the guilt of sinners on himself. So that you and I, by hoping and trusting in him alone before God, may be freed, may be forgiven, and have his righteousness, his good works, credited to our account. And not only that, that is not only once and done, it is once and ongoing. The same grace that saves is the same grace that over time will sanctify us within, making us to be the people that he calls us to be. So men and women, children, pursue hard after the Lord. Follow in the example of Paul. Imitate him, he says. Follow me as I follow Christ. Be an example for others. This is what elders are to be. Let us pursue this. Father in heaven, we need your grace, your gospel grace. We praise you for the high and lofty expectations that you have set for pastors and elders. Every single one of us confesses that we fall far short of what we want to be, of what you call us to be. And yet, O Lord, by your grace, we desire that you would continue to work within us to help us grow in these things. I pray that you would help us to pray for with one another, with one another, that our lives would be sharpened by one another's words and works and examples. That you, O God, may be glorified in us 
and through us and in spite of us. In Christ's name, amen.